Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. I'm going to pray one more time before we get into the Word. Uh, We'll be going to John chapter 21, verses 1 through 10. Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together um, to hear your word. I pray, Lord, that they wouldn't hear from a man this morning. I pray that they would hear what's on your heart, what you want to communicate to them. I pray that you would use it to encourage someone, to uplift someone, to bring about a miracle in someone's life, touch them in a deep, unique way, especially on this day of Pentecost, Father, where, where Uh, Your spirit was poured out thousands of years ago. I pray that you pour out in our hearts. You said in your word that you um, poured out your spirit abroad. And so, Father, I pray that you would do that in great mass and measure this morning, not just in Ascension Christian Center, but in every church, every ministry, every evangelistic um, effort, and all across the globe where people are gathering, even if it's in a home. Lord, pour out your spirit in a mighty, mighty way. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. All right, John chapter 21, verses 1 through 10. I like to read in the New King King James Version. Um, I have my old-fashioned Bible here. Uh, Feel free to use your phone, your iPad, um, whatever means I love. I would love for you to physically go to the Word of God uh, with me. Something about flipping through these pages. You know, this morning as I was preparing on my iPad, it kept freezing up on me. I'm like, man, the page of the Bible, they never freeze, you know? You can always, it's always safe to read the old-fashioned Bible. Um, again, if you missed that, that is John chapter 20, 21, verses 1 through 10. And it says this, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Now, this simply means that the crucifixion at this time had already taken place. The disciples were left discouraged. They were left discombobulated. And so they're going fishing. And it says that Simon Peter, uh, Thomas, called the twin Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, and two others disciples were together. Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. Somebody say, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you. Can we really go fishing like after surf? No. Have <laughs> anybody ever seen that bumper sign that says, I'd rather be fishing? That would be me. If your country say amen. There's not many of you in here. That would... And they went out and immediately they got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. It's interesting to me how they, these are professional fishermen and they go out and they do what they used to do professionally, what they were successful at. Now, when they had been called by Jesus to do something else, they became successful. Well, when they tried to go back and do something that used to work, it no longer works. It's funny because if you get called out by God to do something and you try to go do that very thing again, it just won't work. You don't know, you don't know what I'm saying. When God calls you out of a relationship and then in your own strength, you go back and try to make it work. When you leave a certain trade or a business 
and you go back in your own strength and try to make it work? You try to get God to do something that he did in the past, but it just, it doesn't work. Does anybody know what I'm saying here? So the disciples went all night. They caught nothing. They're professionals. But then it says, but when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shores and the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? He knew they caught nothing. And they answered him, no. And then he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat. In other words, listen to my instruction. Cast your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, don't you love that? This is John writing it. And he's saying about himself, that disciple whom Jesus loved. It's like Pastor Donnie saying, when I refer to myself, the disciple whom Jesus loved is going to teach the word of God today. Does anybody get it? He, John is talking about himself. He's calling himself. Anyway, you'll get it later. Therefore, that disciple, he's talking about himself, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, when Peter had heard it, he heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment for he had removed it and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciple came in a little boat because they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some fish which you have caught. And in this introduction on the front end of this verse, it's easy, at least for me, reading through the word of God, seeing and thinking about how discouraged the disciples were at that point. After all, they just came out from living on this three-year high where they seen miracles, signs, and wonders. They didn't hear from them from an evangelistic association. They didn't see these miracles from far. They seen these miracles up close and personal. They seen the lame walk. They seen people who were bound for 30 years get up and follow Jesus. They seen people who were completely blind from childbirth have hands laid on them and see almost immediately. They would see Jesus do crazy things like spit in clay, mix the clay with his saliva and rub it in people's eyes and their eyes would pop open. The deaf hear, the lame walk, the blind seen, miracle signs and wonders followed these guys for three years and now Jesus gets stretched high, gets crucified on the cross and now the disciples are thinking to themselves, what do we do now? Because the thing that used to work no longer is gonna work for us. I'm going to go try to do what I used to do and make that work. Can you sense the discouragement within the disciples? So they go back fishing, the long story short, and they're discouraged. Somebody say discouraged. Wondering what do we do next? For the past couple weeks, I've been preaching in this sermon. You may laugh if you haven't been here the past three weeks. I've been preaching this series, excuse me, called, does anybody remember? Promises and Pickles. Where that came from, I'm going to blame it on the Lord. It'll make sense to you in just a moment. Now, when I say the word pickles, I don't mean a cucumber infused with uh, vinegar, although I do love pickles. I'm not speaking of that kind of pickle. If you're from Orlando, at least the United States, you understand that if you understand the game pickle, you'll understand what I mean by that word pickle. Pickle is simply, it looks like a baseball game 
where the, there's three, there, it's comprised of three uh, men or women. Uh, one is in the middle who doesn't have a ball. The two on the outside have a glove and, glove, and they're throwing the ball back and forth to each other, trying to tag the person in the middle before that person gets to the base. And so the person with the ball controls the tempo or the person who's in the middle. You know, if you have the ball, that person is going to run away from you. So it's kind of like another term would be uh, a rock in a hard place. Everybody say pickle. So the past few weeks, I've been talking about how oftentimes God will put you in a situation, a rock in a hard place, or he'll put you in pickling situations, not to harm you, not to hurt you, but to chase you into the calling that he's put on your life. He will oftentimes allow sometimes seemingly chaos. And when we're binding the enemy, we don't really realize that it's God who actually puts you in that pickle to propel you into destiny. So I talked about Joseph on how he was dropped in the middle of a pickle. That pickle I like to call, well, the Bible calls the pit. How many remember when Joseph got sold into slavery? He got thrown into a pit. Well, that, that pickle ultimately got him promoted into a palace 13 years later where he would serve his brothers as the ambassador of Egypt. Uh, the week before, uh, last time I preached, we also preached on that series of promises and pickles, and we talked about how pickles propel us. We talked about how the children of Israel, they were in a place of blessing, a place of prosperity where their brother Joseph was taking care of them, but when they stayed in Egypt too long, they ended up in bondage. And the importance on how not to stay in the pickle too long you hear what I said? When you stay at a job too long, stay in a friendship with somebody that you shouldn't be in friendship with too long, right? And how those kind of pickles will propel you. And that's exactly what happened in Egypt. When they stayed there too long, God used Moses to push them out of Egypt into the promised land. But this week, I want to talk about a little, something a little bit different. I do want to talk about Passover and how we, we're still in the series called Promises and Pickles, but I want to talk about Passover and Pentecost a little bit, and I'll give you the sermon title in just a minute. I'm sure you'll get a kick out of it, and I'm sure it will resonate with you. Um, first of all, does everybody know what Passover is? Who does not know what Passover is? Nobody, nobody knows what Passover is. Not even, what's that? Does anybody not know what Passover is? Okay. We're going to talk about Passover this morning a little bit. So the first Passover that took place was in Egypt. Did I question that right? Okay. Everybody knows. Everybody knows what Passover is? Show your hands. Okay. Half of you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So basically, Passover is what took place right before the children of Israel left Egypt. You remember the children of Israel, they were in bondage under Egyptian slavery. Pharaoh dominated them. He made them build bricks for him. He made them build his empire at that time. Well, Passover was developed through the last plague that was sent to Egypt by God. Everybody say, by God. The long story short is that Pharaoh, after the nine major plagues, the flies and the frogs and all of this craziness, um, the, the blood in the water, their fish dying, their livestock dying, after all this happened, God turns to one last resort to get Pharaoh to finally break. And that was to create this um, feast called Passover. And so during Passover, here's what God instructed the Israelites to do who were in bondage. He said, I want you to take a lamb. I want you to cut the lamb's throat. I want you to take the blood from the lamb, and I want you to put it over the lintel or the doorpost of the door. 
And I want you to stay inside. If this blood is over that lintel, when the death angel passes over the city, that firstborn child will be protected. This also correlates with Jesus, how Jesus would ultimately become the Lamb of God. Is everybody with me? He would ultimately become the Passover Lamb, hence he died on Passover. Does everybody know that? Okay. So the short story is... uh, Pharaoh's son was in the house. They didn't put the blood over the lintel, and so his son died, and they get chased out of Egypt. Short story, Pharaoh tries to bring them back. Well, where this word Pentecost came from is because when Jesus died 50 days after, the Holy Spirit got poured out in the upper room. Everybody say the upper room. We call that Pentecost because that Greek word, uh, that Greek word Pentecost actually means 50 days after. Say 50 days after. So 50 days after Pentecost would happen in a place called the Upper Room in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit would again be poured out. And so I was thinking to myself, the chaos, as I bring us back to John chapter 21, the chaos and how the, how the disciples felt so discouraged during that time. All these difficult things were happening in the disciples' lives. They get pushed into this Upper Room. And 50 days later, the Spirit of God gets poured out on the church, 120 people, because only 120 were left after 500 initially were tarrying, 380 left because they couldn't wait. And so the short story is the Holy Spirit got poured out after this this thing happened. And and here's what I believe. We are seeing signs in the nations of the world of a similar thing that's going to happen. Now, I'm not saying we need another Pentecost. I'm saying that we need something greater than the Pentecost we experienced in the past. But oftentimes, there will be preceding chaos that lead up to a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the world. And so we, we are wringing our hands right now. The question that we're asking is, where is God in all of this? Now, here's the big question. When is God going to pour out his Spirit again and revive us again so that we can experience all that he's called us to? And here's what I really believe. I believe that God will turn up the heat and allow things like this to happen in our nation to position our hearts to get ready for another outpouring of his spirit. God will allow difficulties in our lives not to destroy us, but to get our heart, heart excuse me, right and ripe to be able to receive what he's trying to do in the earth. Isn't it funny how difficulty opens the heart? It's not an ease and comfort and pleasure that we go after God. I don't know about you, but I don't find myself on my knees weeping and praying for the nation when everything seems to be going okay. When my finances are in order and my job is going great and my wife is acting perfectly and not you know, dealing with the kids in a way that I'm like, does anybody with me? When my life is going great, when my wife is behaving perfectly, when my life is in order, when the church is going fine, when our finances are straight, I don't find myself on my knees asking God to do great things. But when I'm put in a position where things aren't going my way, when I'm discouraged, it's then I pursue God. And that's when we begin to find God. Amen? Because it says, he whoever seeks me will find me. Well, if there is no seeking, there will be no finding in our lives. Look at somebody and say, seek the Lord. I'm just drawing a picture up this morning, but many of you that I see here weren't here when I released this news um, I'm just painting a picture frame real quick, and we're going to have some fun in just a moment. I was telling a gentleman out in the parking lot um, recently, he probably thought I was crazy. That's okay. I had this experience about five weeks leading up to the pandemic. And how many were here when I shared this, um, this encounter? Um, I was in a church service on a Sunday night, 
And I was praying like I normally would. It's kind of where I go to get refreshed and rejuvenated. And all of a sudden, I felt my heart get hit like a ton of bricks. And I knew it was the Lord. You just know when you have, how do I say this? When you, when you have this experience with the Lord, you just, you just know it's him. And, and I felt these words come into my heart. Now, it wasn't just a fleeting thought. He said, tell my people I'm coming. How many were here when I, when I said that just weeks leading up to this whole pandemic? He said, tell my people I'm coming. I dismissed that thought pretty quickly. That's pretty easy. You know, it could be my imagination. And there's certainly times I have those holy imaginations where I'm like, okay, Donna, you may, may, may have eaten bad, you know, apples or, you know, eaten too much pizza the night before and had crazy dreams. Uh, you can ask Tamaki about that. She interprets my dreams. Sometimes she tells me they're pizza dreams. Sometimes she tells me they're from heaven. The short story is, is I, I dismissed that thought, but 30 seconds later, I look up on the screen and the song t uh, shifted to uh, being about the second coming of Christ. And I discounted that one too. I said, okay, Lord, once, twice, can you give me a third one? Well, I lean over the front of my seat and written on one right side of the page, the only thing that's written there, there was a, there was a lady that was in front of me. Now she's up worshiping near the steps of the pulpit area. Well, on the right side of her page, it's completely lit up. The left side is completely dark. There's an overcast over the top of it. And it says, him coming. And I thought to myself that, God, you are up to something. But I feel I know a little bit more about what it means. And now as I've prayed on it and I've sought the Lord more about it, when he said he's coming, I don't think he necessarily meant the second coming, although I believe Jesus will come again. How many believe that Jesus is going to come again? I do believe that Jesus is going to set up his kingdom. I do believe what the Bible says, he's going to come riding on a cloud. He's going to gather his people. We're going to be caught up and there we'll be with the Lord forever. I believe that. I believe he's coming again. But here's what I believe even more. I believe what the Lord was saying to me in that moment is that there's about to, there's a, something is about to happen. This was before the pandemic. There's something that's about to happen and hit the nation, a chaos, some kind of crisis that's going to precede my an outpouring, a great awakening, a great outpouring of my spirit. Because oftentimes before a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as I've studied revival, here was the common denominator in all of those movements. There was great chaos. There was great disruption. There was great worldwide panic before the Holy Spirit began to get poured out, and it changed the whole climate of the nation, spiritually speaking. And I believe that we're on the cusp of that. And that's why this morning I want to uh, entitle this message uh, of this series that I've called uh, Promises and Pickle. I want to entitle this message today called Pickled into Pentecost. That's right. I believe God is positioning the nation and pickling the nation, pushing us in the direction that he feels that we need to go before we can experience an outpouring like we never have before. And so where the, where the see, if you don't have spirit eyes, you can't discern the times. But when you, when, you, when, you, when you read the word of God and you, and, and you sit before the Lord and you pray and you seek his face and you get to know his voice, you can't allow what's happening out there to cause you to be discombobulated. You have to see God's agenda behind all of this. He's ripening America's heart to get right with him again. He's allowing this chaos. He's, he didn't cause it. Everybody say he's not causing it. He's not causing it, but he will use it. He will use the devil's hand to get us going in the direction that he wants us to go. Somebody say amen to that. And so one of the first things I believe that happened with the disciples before this great awakening, and I believe there's four things positionally that happened. And one of the first things that happened before the outpouring in Pentecost was they were disillusioned. 
They got disillusioned. The definition of disillusion simply means to be disappointed in something or someone that discovers to be less good than once had believed. Right? We thought America's great. Everything is great. We were on smooth sailing just about a few months ago, back, you know, just a few months ago. And now all of a sudden we are discombobulated just like the disciples were. Jesus was there. He was healing. He was creating signs and wonders. He was, he was walking on water. He was doing all these amazing things as the disciples were following him. And now here they're met with worldwide chaos in the Roman Empire thinking that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman regime, and now they're discombobulated, thinking to themselves, what are we going to do next? Isn't that what America is asking right now? What in the world are we going to do next? First it was up north, and now they're on 408, causing all of this chaos, and they're blocking off the roads, and we're wondering, are our children safe to go out? What are we going to do next? I don't know about you, but it kind of sounds like the position that the disciples were in at that time. Right? Where is Jesus in all of this? And right at the time, the week that they're beginning to open everything up, they're opening the stores, they're opening up the strip malls, they're opening up restaurants. Now we're not afraid of the pandemic. We're not afraid of COVID-19. Now we're afraid to go out of our house for fear of losing our lives. And that's exactly the position that the disciples were in. They were forced to go inside. They were forced to be put in a place whereby they can only depend on God and not the nation of the world. And that's where God begins to move. You know, what's funny to me is that as I can see this kind of disillusionment on Peter's face while reading these pages, and he says, I'm going back fishing. I'm going back to used, you know, what used to work. I wonder, have you ever obeyed God and got some results that you didn't expect? Because they obviously had obeyed God. They left everything behind. They left their livelihood. They left, some of them left their wives and their families and their children. They left everything behind. They forsook all. Remember when they said, we have forsaken all what's laid up for us, Lord. Does everybody remember that? And they left to follow Jesus. Have you ever obeyed God, obeyed him at a job, obeyed him by marrying a certain someone and didn't get the results that you were looking for? And there, what happens is, is you can get disillusioned by thinking that God's not going to do what he originally said he was going to do in your life. And you have to be firm in your faith, knowing that God will work that thing out for your good if you hold on long enough. You can't allow the pickle to get you so disillusioned that you can't see any good that can come out of a seemingly desperate situation because that's exactly the way the disciples felt it. And that's exactly the way I think the church is feeling right now. What good can you bring out of this right now, Lord? What, what, what good can you bring out of this chaos What good can you bring out of a murder? What good can you bring out of all of this racism? What good can you bring out of all of this shutdown and possible economic collapse? Somebody say, what good? The disciples had put everything, all of their eggs in one basket and expected a return. But now here they are fishing on the lake again, going back to what use to work. And here's what I love about what this did for them, is they were put in a position where they were forced to go wait. Somebody say wait. They were forced to wait on the Lord. They were forced to go sit before him. 
they were forced to get face to face with him because he, he, he made a command. Jesus, as he's on the shore and as he brings him to the side, there's a statement that Jesus gave. Now watch this in Acts 1 verse 4 through 8. Watch what he says to them. And being assembled together with them, he's talking about Jesus, he commanded them not, depart, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to do what? Come on, say it out loud. But to do what? But to wait for the promise of the Father. I almost see a parallel between how when, when, when in the children of Israel thousands of years ago, you may appreciate this, I was sitting before the Lord and I thought how the parallel, you know, 3,000 years ago, they were in Egypt, you had Passover and they, had, they were forced to wait. And that was the last sign before they would go into their promised land or go into the, but we're looking at the promise of the Father. And so a thousand years later, you got these disciples being forced to go into the upper room to wait on what? The promise. You see, they were, they were pickled for this promise. Somebody say pickled for the promise. And so Jesus commands them. He says, hey, but you need to go and you need to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said to you, you have heard from me, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, watch this, Lord, will you at this time restore Orlando, Florida? Will you at this time restore the nations of the world? Will you at this time make things that are wrong right? Now watch, watch, his, watch his response. He said this, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But when they came together, he said, Lord, will you restore the kingdom and Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times nor the season which your father has put these in his own authority. But watch this. He discounts all of that and he says, but, but you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Listen, you have to understand that the disciples, the followers of Jesus were stuck well, kind of stuck, right? It wasn't because of a pandemic, but it was because of persecution. But they were stuck and they were put into a place to wait on the Lord because God knew that he couldn't get his work done. He couldn't get his agenda done with everybody being so busy. There are some things in your life that you're not going to get done in God while being busy because he does some of his greatest work when we wait. And that's exactly what happened to the disciples. They were forced into their home because of this persecution. But what happened? The Holy Spirit got poured out, and it changed the climate of an entire region. Have you been forced to wait? And when God has put you in a position where you are forced to wait, are you more busy on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and emails? Are you still finding out ways to busy yourself? Or are you figuring out ways, I see some smiles out there, are you figuring out ways where you can sit before the Lord so you can receive what the disciples received? Because there's some things you will not receive except when you're in the quiet place. Because God reveals himself in the quiet places of our hearts and in our lives. Can I tell you this? Can God move in a cubicle at a busy workplace? Yes, he can. Can God show up in a situation when you're driving on the road with your worship music blasting loud? Yes, he can. Can he show up in the middle of chaos in a country? Yes, he can. But God often does his best work and he shows up quickly if we decide to wait and we decide to put our face towards him and we wait and we seek him. Amen? 
I was talking to my friend Tamaki the other day. I kind of alluded, um, don't get me, Tamaki. She's looking at me. She's like, what is he going to say? So um, I recently had a dream, and she's interpreted uh, many significant dreams uh, for me. She's basically been sending me interpretations without, she, has, she doesn't disclose the, the dreamer's name, but she sends me dreams and their interpretations because I'm, I'm figuring out how to hear God, how he speaks through dreams, because it's never been a strong suit of mine, but as of late, he's been speaking to me in dreams. So she's kind of helping to guide me, and, and uh, it's so funny because when I, when I call her at times, we'll talk you know, fairly frequently. She'll tell me, she, she'll text me, or she'll say, I'm busy this day with the Lord. She, she's busy. I'm like, how are you busy with the Lord? I'm just thinking to myself, what does she mean by that? And as I begin to see how accurate she was in the dreams that I was giving her, and I'll give you an example in just a minute, what she's really saying is she's waiting on the Lord. I see your faces so you don't really understand what I'm saying. There are some things you will never get, you will never understand until you wait. I'm a worker. I, I'm, I'm a busy, I can be a busy body some, at times. I don't mean to confess that over my life, but the truth of the matter is I'm a go-getter. I'm busy. I don't, how many busy people do I have in the house? When we're busy, there's certain things that you won't receive. And so she's beginning to teach me a little something without her telling me to wait on the Lord, is that she's saying, hey, the way that I get these revelations is simply by sitting and by waiting. I'll give you an example. Not that long ago, we were at our other building. This was pre, pre-August. We launched here in August, but I had this dream, and this dream was really, really weird, and I thought it meant something way more deep and way more spiritual than what it really did. And in this dream, uh, I was on a seashore, and there was a Zulu tribe, and they were pounding the drums, boom, 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 making their way towards us. This whole crowd that was with me runs. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, what does this mean, Lord? And they get off of the shore. My son, Cohen, is with me. And they give me this ancient bag. And they hand me the bag. And they bow. I'm thinking they're going to kill me. And they leave. I, I message Tamaki. Is this okay, Tamaki? I send Tamaki this dream. Well, she knew this situation, but she didn't know the outcome. But this dream revealed the outcome. So here was my predicament. I had just, we had just invested some money in this building that we were at, carpet, stage, all of the, all the, the works, and a church moves in next door, and they don't have a firewall, and they start at 10 a.m., and so what do you think happens at 10 a.m.? Boom, 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 and I get this loud noise. I can hear it in my lapel mic, and it's like 80 feet away, and you can hear it in our podcast. It was a disaster. We kindly asked them if they could change their service times, and they kindly said no, so I go to Jamaica and I submit this dream. And she says, Pastor, I know the interpretation of the dream. She sends me the dream. She says, these men are going to come to you. And they're going to tell you they're willing to move their service time. I said, how do you get that out of that? I mean, this is a Zulu tribe. I thought God was going to give me like some kind of great gift. Is somebody going to give me a million dollars? Somebody going to give me my 57 Chevy? What's going to happen? It's got to be something cooler than just moving the service times. The following day, the next day, they call me. Pastor, we're willing to move our service times to whatever time you'd like. I said, oh my God, Tamaki was right. The dream happened exactly the way that Tamaki interpreted it. Less than 24 hours later, 
What am I saying? Is a life that is consecrated, a life that is willing to wait. See, there's a lot of us who love Jesus, but we don't know him. You know, when the disciples were out and they were ministering, the religious, excuse me, not just the religious leaders, but the religious leaders and the Romans, the Bible says they could tell that they had been with Jesus. I can tell people who go to church easily because I ask them, how are you? And they say the old famous words, blessed and highly favored. I know they have been with church. But people who have been with Jesus, when I talk to them, when I leave them, I feel refreshed. I feel encouraged. I feel uplifted. When is the last time during this whole pandemic you've went to the upper room and waited? Maybe you get to stand behind a camera for a living and see great things that Jesus does. Maybe you get to work in a Christian environment. Maybe you pray once or twice a day. Maybe you read your Bible every day. But when is the last time you waited on him? When is the last time that you didn't do all the conversation? You didn't dominate the conversation. When is the last time you didn't let your laundry list and go down the line? Lord, this is what I need. I need a miracle in my family. My mom's got cancer. Um, you know, my children are acting up. Lord, I need you to do this and my spouse, or I need this, you know, money to come through to pay this bill. When is the last time that you said, Lord, what's on your heart? When is the last time you've really waited and sat? You know Why? The Holy Spirit got poured out in the upper room is because they waited. And great things come to those who wait. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this, those who wait on the Lord shall do what? It shall renew their strength. Waiting on the Lord brings strength in the believer's lives. Strength to do what? Strength to have connection. Strength to give an ability to hear and interpret, like I was telling you about Tamaki. An ability to discern right and wrong. An ability to discern that in spite of what's going on in the earth, there's something great that's about to happen. Because why? Because I've been waiting on him. I've been hearing him. And I can tell you right now, God still has a plan for America. But God will allow America to fail so that he can bring it to a place where it can succeed. But it's only going to happen when we learn to wait on him. Then we will have our upper room experience once again, but even in greater measure, where your family members will get saved. Well, you'll wait so much on the Lord that the glory of God's going to permeate your character and your conversations and your conduct. People are going to see it on your job. And guess what? When they leave you, they're going to say, you know what? There's something different about that person. They've been with Jesus. And people will know whether you've been to church or you've been with Jesus. Somebody say, I want to be with Jesus. And the thing is that I admired so much about Tamaki, and I'll leave, this, I'll, leave this, I'll leave you with this, is waiting is not doing nothing. Did, did you hear what I said? Waiting is not doing nothing. I don't know if you've ever taken a bus. Many of you probably haven't, but I think you may know it. You may understand when I say it like this. How, how many have ever waited outside in the chair at the dentist? Or you've waited for Spectrum? or you're waiting at a coffee shop for someone. You're not waiting, doing nothing. You're like antsy. You can't wait for them to get there, especially if they're running 15 minutes behind. You're, in, you're, you're anticipating something. You're waiting on purpose. There's a purpose for your waiting. It's not waiting in that upper room watching Netflix. 
That's not the type of waiting I'm looking for. That's called wasting time. I'm not saying that always I watch Netflix. I'm not saying that I've, I, I like to watch movies. I'm a movie buff. But I'm saying we can't say we're waiting on the Lord to do something and do nothing. When you're waiting, there's an intentional waiting. I'm waiting for him to speak. I'm waiting for him to move. Move in my marriage. Move in my home. Move in this church. Move in the nation. Move on my behalf. Move. Remove this thing from my life that continues to cause me to get caught up in a web of sin or whatever it is. There's an intentional waiting when we're waiting on the Lord. And when we intentionally wait, great things happen. And what happened with the disciples when they were up in the room? They went from being discouraged on the sea, from not catching anything, to catching everything that they could. And this, what we're seeing, is the birth of the church. The birth of the church didn't happen in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The birth of the church happened when the Holy Spirit outpoured. And then in their waiting, they got more done in their waiting than they could in their own ability and their own accomplishments and their own efforts. They tried to cast out demons apart from the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and they couldn't many times. They tried to keep it, Peter tried to keep his tongue tied without the power of the Holy Spirit and couldn't. But when the Holy Spirit moves in the person's life after you wait, guess what? He enables you to get more done while you rest and wait on him than you can in your own strength. Somebody say, wait. Look at somebody with conviction in their eyes and say, wait. Wait. If you need instruction on what to do in this next phase of your life, I encourage you to do this. Wait. If you need something to happen in your life or your family, wait. If you are looking for God to do something internally on the inside of you because you know some things need to change in your attitude, wait. Sit before the Lord and wait. Do you know that God gets no benefits from a one-sided conversation with you? And I listen, I am a, I'm a, I, I write my prayers down. I'm like, Lord, I need this. I, need, I understand that. But there is a time. It has to be a two-way relationship. And there are some things that are not going to happen until we wait on him. Somebody say, wait. And I, I, I love this. Of course, I love it because I wrote, <laughs> I wrote it. It says this. <laughs> I was going to say it was somebody else's quote. I looked down and it said, quote, I wrote this down, I believe, this morning. Man's method is getting things done. God's method is waiting. Did you hear what I said? Man's, man's method is getting things done. God's method is waiting. They had tried in their own strength. The disciples were in the upper room. They, they tried in their own strength. As a matter of you know how I know they tried in their own strength? Because I can imagine what the 380 other disciples, there wasn't just 12. Does everybody know that? There was 500 who'd seen Jesus ascend into heaven. 500 go to the upper room. They are waiting on the promise, according to uh, Acts chapter 1, when Jesus said, hey, listen, go upstairs, wait in this upper room. There's going to be an outpouring of my spirit. This is the promise that was foretold for ages. I'm going to pour out my spirit, and I'm going to shake the earth. 380 of them, I can see them right now. They had prayer checklists. Pray for my mom. Pray for my son who's unsaved. Checklist, checklist, checklist. Day one went by. Day eight went by. Day 20 went by. Day 30 went by. But guess what? They didn't receive the promise, the 380 that left because they checked their box off. It was a one-way relationship and they weren't going to get the promise. The, the promise only came to the 120 that did what? They waited. 
They waited before the Lord and they received the promise of the Holy Spirit and shook the world. They weren't preaching on the street corner. They weren't doing efforts. They were waiting for 50 days in the upper room. Penta. Penta means 50. 50 days after the Passover when Jesus died, they waited in the upper room and got filled with the Holy Spirit as they waited. They were also pickled for the promise. Everybody say pickled for the promise. I want to quickly read this. I know I'm reading a lot of verses today. I felt it was necessary, and I'm going to wrap up in just a moment. And Rebecca and the team can come up whenever she's ready. In Acts chapter 1, excuse me, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, New King James, and it says this, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Everybody say fully come. You know, I have been, for the past year and a half, you've seen me pacing these floors. Many of you have. Praying for a move of God. I've seen, I've seen churches that create um, revival weekends. Can I just tell you, you can't set up yourself for a revival. Well, let me rephrase that. You can build the structure to get ready for it. You can pray yourself up to it, but it's a sovereign move of God when God decides to move. It's sovereign, meaning man can't control that. Man can't make it stop. For, he can't stop it from happening, nor can he cause it to happen. But you can position yourselves for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so when I, when I read that, and I, when I finished reading that, it kind of stood out to me when it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. In other words, there is a time when God decides to move. Like a specific time in an area in your life. Like he, 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 there's a time, there's a season, there's a window when he says, I'm going to move on his behalf. I'm going to move on her behalf. I'm going to move on their behalf. I'm going to move in that marriage. I'm going to move in that ministry. I'm going to move in that destiny calling. When the time fully came, I believe for the nation of the world, the time is coming where it has fully come and God's going to move in a great way and cause a great awakening. I'm going to finish reading it. And they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a Russian mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. And the Spirit gave them utterance. I was sitting in my study, I believe. I was either in my office or my study. I'm talking about being pickled for an outpouring. Somebody say, pickled for outpouring. In my holy imagination, I've seen a cup. I have a two-year-old. If you have a two-year-old, you'll understand this. You have Noah. I have Zoe. Noah's almost three now, right? If I have something in my hand to pour, and he holds that, he does anything but keep it steady. She, Cohen too, he's eight. He still has a problem holding it steady. And that's like us. We oftentimes, we want something from God, but we're not staying steady. When my daughter comes up to me, water, daddy, and I try to pour that water, it usually ends up on the floor because she doesn't hold it steady. Somebody say, hold it steady. There was great persecution in that time, and I believe there's great, a different type of persecution happening than this time. It's different. It's persecution of racism, of a pandemic forced into our home. We're faced to stay steady. 
And why do I believe God is allowing that to happen? Stay steady so I can pour into you what I want. So I can change your life. So I can change your finances. So I can change that marriage. So I can change that nation. So I can change that workplace. They were pickled. They were put in a position where they had to hold steady. They were forced to spend time with him. They were forced to sit in an upper room to get ready for a great outpouring of his spirit. How many are ready for a great outpouring in your life? How many are ready for God to awaken some things in your life? How many are ready for God to really move? I don't mean move like with, with goosebumps. I mean really move in your life. Move your heart. Change some things around. See some, some fulfilled promises. Amen? I want you to stand to your feet if you will. Lastly, I know I'm moving through those last points really quick, is that they were pickled for power. Yeah, pickled for power. They were chased into a position where they could receive the anointing from on high so that they can get infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. You remember when I was reading that verse in Acts where it says, hey, listen, don't worry about the signs of the times. Don't worry about what's happening. They were asking Jesus to solve the problem, and he said this, don't worry about that but you shall receive power. What was he saying? He shut them down and didn't answer the question because he said, listen, none of that really matters because when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, things change. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.